You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the room. We talk all things stories, Marvel, DC, and beyond this episode number 334, we're discussing D23, DC's new slate, and the new era of the Nerd Room. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And guys, we are back. Our final hiatus of the summer is now behind us, and a new era of the Nerd Room begins tonight. This recording is the first recording inside of our recently announced variable podcast format that we are swapping over to as of this episode. So what does that mean, Carlos? What does that mean? That means we're going to be changing things up here a bit in the Nerd Room. We're going to move away slightly from the week-on, week-out discussion and following of the news and trim that back a little bit to open the door for my more diverse talk, more fresh talk and guests and different focus talk throughout this podcast. What it also means is we're kicking up a brand new show called Toy Stream Live, which will be exclusively on YouTube. So you're going to get three podcasts a month in the feed and one exclusive over on YouTube. And the first release of the month, the first week, will always be what we're dubbing This Week in Nerd. It will be the episode that you're going to see right here, right now, or listen to right here, right now, which is us in our normal format running down the news. And then the following week will be Toy Focus. So taking our week in Nerd that used to be at the back end where we talked about all our collecting, that's going to be all put into a toy live stream. We're very excited about that. That will be followed by This Week in Nerd again. And then the last week of the month will be what we're calling Detours. So it'll be a podcast focused on a subject and will open the door for us to talk more about comics, more specific movies, even collecting brought into that a little bit. We're opening the door also to having guests on the podcast more frequently outside of this normal news follow. So we're trying to change things up, keep things fresh. Carlos, any comments on the new era of the Nerd Room beginning tonight? No, it should be exciting. It'll keep things fresh for us, keep things fresh for the listeners. It'll give us a format to actually do a bit of show and tell with that YouTube show and Mm -hmm. uh, open the door back up for some of those collabs that we had in years gone by. And uh, yeah, if you want to join us on a show or have something burning that you want to talk about or um, explore with us, yeah, hit us up in the DMs or wherever you like, and uh, yeah, we'd be happy to make that happen for sure. Yeah, that, so that that's exactly it. It's about opening the new doors to not only new discussions, but anyone who wants to jump on the podcast, whether it's to talk about toys on the YouTube show or at the end of the month to talk about any subject you want that is in the nerd space. And you know, we haven't quite figured out the format of that one yet, but we'll get there by the end of this week, and we're really looking forward to kind of letting the chains off of the format and structure of the weekly shows and just talking about something different. So we're kind of taking bits and pieces from all over our past and making it into a brand new format that changes it up each and every week. So you're going to get something different every single week, but you're going to get the same nerd room content every single Thursday. So keep in tune with our Twitter handles or with our Twitter feeds, as well as go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We haven't exactly landed on the day that we're going to be doing the toy stream, but we're going to work that out here in the next couple of days. And hopefully by the time this episode drops, you will have that. So lots of fun to come in the new era of the Nerd Room. 
But this week, like I said, we're going to start the first week of the month with what we're calling This Week in Nerd. All right, Carlos, This Week in Nerd, this is something we've done time and time again over the last couple of years. And in this episode is going to be focused on talking about the latest and greatest from the world of nerd. And we can't go anywhere without talking about DC. DC has been on the tip of the tongue for the last couple of months because of the massive changes we are seeing inside of WB and Discovery. Now, we don't want to beat a dead horse continuing to talk about this, but things have changed yet again. Now, we have been absent for the last couple of weeks and some big things have happened. And you and I, in some capacity, have defended some of the choices that have been made, or at least tried to shed light on a better understanding as to why those decisions were made, even though we did not like them. There was potentially a reason behind it. But I will say this one topic has got me more disappointed than the cancellation of any film, than the moving of any film, and is the fact we're not getting DC fandom this year. This has become a staple for us through 2020, 2021, the pandemic time, a very difficult time in all of our lives. But DC was able to produce probably the best virtual conference, the most accessible virtual conference ever. And I'm pretty gutted that they're not going to do it this year. Yeah, you know what, that is one of the bigger disappointments and mostly because we just had so much fun both within our show and with all our friends and mm-hmm. co-collaborators just celebrating the event. I thought both years they did a pretty spectacular job. I I liked what they brought and it was just something different and for me it it really pantsed Comic-Con in two ways number one first and foremost dc got not only a weekend but pretty much an entire week where yes it was the focus of the pop culture zeitgeist and they got to showcase everything they wanted to showcase and had a little bit more room to do so and you could let a few things like the relaunch of milestone last year get a bit of room and a bit of air time and spend some time with Neil Gaiman talking about the Sandman coming out and things of that nature, which honestly get lost in the sauce with Comic-Con. Yes. And um, with Comic-Con, you saw it this year. It doesn't matter that they only brought two movies. They could have brought a Flash trailer, an Aquaman trailer, uh, and first look at Blue Beetle. And Marvel Studios comes in at the evening and they own the rest of the night and the next day type of thing by dropping that slate, right? So why play that game? So that's a huge loss with Fandom. And then also the fact that it's accessible to everybody. Nobody's Mm -hmm. sitting there refreshing a Twitter feed, hoping to get news, hoping to see (laughs) that it's accurate, Um, you know, praying that the studio releases some scraps from the table that you're able to catch because you're not at the event type of thing. And uh, it was something that was kind of universally accessible. They did a great job of doing it um, across the entire world where different countries had their own hosts and it was done Mm -hmm. in the primary languages of those countries. And uh, yeah, I think it's a big loss and a bit short-sighted. And you know what? There might've been a bit of a push from Dwayne Johnson to bring Black Adam to Comic-Con, which is the the biggest event showcasing this kind of stuff. But at the same time, like I would have seriously endorse them not going at all, not spending the money there and spending the money on doing fandom again and 
you know, all you have to do is a couple of weeks before Comic-Con, just announce your date and let people know, just set expectations. Yeah, we're not going to be there, but you can catch us here and everybody can come play. So yeah, yeah I'm super disappointed. And, and honestly, if they had some of these changes in the wind, what a great way to lift spirits a bit and start setting some expectations for your fan base by having an event like Fandome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is true. You know, Warner Brothers Discovery came out with a statement saying that they are returning to live events at this point. The Comic Cons, your New York, San Diego is the big ones there. But I think your your points are incredibly valid. Is that they always get lost, and with some of the turbulent changes that you're seeing inside of WB Discovery, fandom would be a nice pivot point, dropping a flag in the sand and saying, "This is our direction." even if delaying it till November or December if they had to, to ensure that they had the direction they were going. But what a way to boost confidence where a lot of people have lost confidence in that brand at the moment because of the cancellations. What a way to turn things around saying point forward, you know, with the movie shifting out to 23, the likes of Shazam, Flash, and Aquaman 2. What a way to kind of recapture people's imaginations. And then, like you said, highlight things that don't usually get that sort of FaceTime, those eyeballs, like anything from the Sandman previously to that, it would have gotten lost in some smaller panel, not your Hall H panel, right? But that had everyone watching DC Phantom that tuned in for the Batman trailer mm-hmm. got the Sandman stuff and got yeah. the focus even on the comic books too, right? Where that stuff isn't as accessible, especially at Comic-Cons because they're in smaller rooms. You don't have people live tweeting it. And, and so you get the full breadth of DC rather than just the movies, yeah, like probably like the when they announced that I, the the one thing that actually came to my mind was the panel they did on Superman last year, mm-hmm. which that, didn't that include awesome. a movie. Yeah, but exactly they got to have the comic book writers get a bit of a platform. They got to talk about their new animated series, and then Jim Lee comes out and talks about the changes to the character and what the character means and how they're positioning John Kent and superman's new motto and it became something that was in the news cycle for a Mm -hmm. couple days and that was a great thing and to kind of watch that blossom because the superman books like the action comics just wrapped up the world saga and it was one of the most tremendous superman story arcs i've read in decades like and i've been reading superman since like the 90s maybe in the 80s and it was freaking awesome. And to kind of see it blossom from this panel and fandom to last week's um, conclusion was very, very cool. So things like that are, are kind of lost, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you get to have a bit of a showcase for your video games and they've got, you know, a big AAA title just around the corner and their multiverses game is doing extremely well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing, but. Zaz Daddy and his Patagonia vests needs to needs to take a, p- a breath. Yeah, there needs to be a little bit of a like as we've said in the past, a, a focus on the brand and maybe revisiting of some marketing strategies because I think we'll see. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. D twenty three. It is a Disney conference where you're going to see Marvel Studios getting their their own time to shine inside of that, and it's really focused on on demonstrating and and really showing the the audience as to what is coming next specifically for for Disney and their properties. 
their IPs. And I'm, I'm going to miss that this year because, you know, DC has been changing so much over the last or over the course of the last couple of months since the big changes that, that Zaslav has been doing. And we've seen this, as I stated, this turbulent slate that has been put out in front of us where initially we we're going to get a whole bunch of movies this year and they've kind of shifted everything. And there has been a big shift about two or three weeks ago where we saw Shazam departing 2022 into a March slot in 2023. The Flash pushed out even further and Aquaman 2 all the way to Christmas next year. And so they've moved a lot of those big movies out and then they've slotted Blue Beetle in there at August 18th of 2023. And we talked about the Joker, of course, coming out in October of 24. So they've got a big slate for, for next year. That's four big movies coming out with one late in this year. So it's great to see that, but a little disheartening again to see them, them shifting things around. Now, when I look at this, when I look at this, try to look at this objectively and say, all right, like, why are they doing this? Again, it comes down to trying to get a hold of the DC brand and pointing the this IP in the direction that they want because they've yet to find a studio head. They've yet to really get all this established. And I think they want to take the time to breathe a little bit. So I get this slate move, but seeing some of these things go over a year in Aquaman's from its original release date, you know, those are big, big shifts that we're seeing. And like I said, having something like DC fandom in there to kind of temper some of the, the conjecture that is out there online about the directionless DC. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's quite there, but it is starting to feel like a lot, even for me, who's been quite defensive over some of the moves that they've made in the last couple of months. Yeah, like I I think that Shazam would have performed admirably in that Christmas corridor is a bit of Mm -hmm. counter-program to Avatar 2 and whatnot. But I know David Sandberg, the director, was a bit happy to have access to some of the premium large format screens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw the trailer for Shazam 2 recently, and it's like, there's a freaking dragon running around. So yeah. yeah, I'd like to see that on an IMAX screen or uh, an AVX screen. So that one, it's a bit disappointing that it gets pushed back. Um, Aquaman getting pushed back. For me, the the big thing is with them not having a studio head in place yet, I'm glad that they're taking the time to get it right. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I just don't want that to create a bit of a backlog where they can't, Uh, have a couple movies in production. So I'm hoping that they do put one or two things into production. Worst case, I wouldn't mind them even pushing Blue Beetle into 24. Yeah. So that way we get Joker and then Blue Beetle in 2024. And we're we're still going to get three big DC films in 2023. So that'd be all right. Um, And yeah, it sounds like they were close with getting their studio head and Dan Lin, but... Mm -hmm. uh, Reading the Hollywood Reporter article, it sounds like just his ties to his own production company, which is very well established and working with lots of projects. They just couldn't make it work. But um sounds like WB Discovery went so far as to explore taking a, like, buying a participation share in the company. Oh, wow. But, yeah. So they, uh, they went that far, but they just couldn't really... Um, get it over the hump. And and I remember reading articles when they were first looking at him and his name came forward as the front runner was saying that he just has so many projects with so many different studios that he could be in a position where there'd be a conflict of interest type of scenario mm. playing out. So, um, yeah, and, you know, his, his own company is going to be his baby. So nobody can fault anybody for not wanting to nurture that. So, um, 
yeah, hopefully we get somebody good and, uh, or maybe things end up shaking out with him. But, uh, yeah, it, it, on one hand, it's good. They're taking their time to get it right. But on the other hand, I really hope this doesn't cause a delay where we're in another 2019 scenario where we only get one DC movie. Ironically yeah. being a Joker one. <laughs> yeah. They, they need to, I think, get some of these movies out and, you know, there was discussion about WB Discovery not having enough money to finance and market and promote these movies, and they chose Black Adam to stay here. Like, this is a full slate that they have for 23 already, um, and the majority of these movies were supposed to be out in 2022. So let's see where DC goes. And, you know, the the other piece of the other side of this coin is HBO Max and where it eventually goes, because one of the main DC properties that was supposed to land on that in the animated front, Batman the Cape Crusader, which was something that was announced at I believe the last DC fandom with creatives behind it like Matt Reeves, J.J. Abrams, Ed Brubaker, and Bruce Timm, the spiritual sequel to Batman the Animated Series looks like it's not going to be falling on a WB Discovery platform. It's not going to HBO Max. It is now being packaged up and being sold to a potential competitor in the streaming world with the likes of Hulu and Netflix all being very interested in this, Apple being very interested in this, probably a delay to this. But again, interesting development to see them moving what was being flagged as, like I said, the spiritual sequel to Batman the Animated Series being really held up there and it moving off of their streamer as they move away from that original content in the streaming service world. And wouldn't it be hilarious if Disney ended up, Hulu ended up with uh, Batman Cape Crusader <laughs> and then ends up on Disney Plus up here for us. Okay, so there's been a lot of people upset that it's not going to HBO Max, and I get it, but I'm calling my shot right now. They are positioning HBO Max to become the old school HBO again, in Mm -hmm. which it is just going to be a linear offering through multiple services that can be bundled in with your cable package or bought as an addition to your... Amazon Prime subscription or your Apple TV or whatever. I think that's where they're taking HBO mm-hmm. back to. They are moving away from fighting in the streaming wars, which is interesting because I think they had firmly established themselves as the number three and being many people's favorite streamer. But um, yeah, it, and even just going back and revisiting some of those articles and interviews with David Zaslav when he first came in, uh, he kind of talks about everybody going for this premiere scripting scripted contract. And he talks about the studios being like little kids soccer where everybody's running to the ball, but there's all this open space. I think that's what he's doing right now and mm-hmm. positioning his company to have this linear channel that they can sell to anybody type of thing. So I, that's why they're moving stuff away. And yeah, it sucks that you don't have all your DC content in one place under one hub and one subscription. I get it. That said, I'm Canadian, and our HBO stuff is already packaged with other things, and yeah. it's wonderful and amazing value for your money because I get all my Game of Thrones, all my DC, and all my Star Trek for less money than it would cost somebody in the States to buy HBO Max and Paramount+. Plus. So... Yeah. It works good in that realm with those kind of licensing deals. Now, with Cape Crusader specifically, I'm actually kind of happy that it's not going to be on HBO Max because it being there, you're just preaching to the choir. 
those are people that already have access to your DC content. The place I actually wanted to go is to Disney Plus. I wanted to go mm-hmm. to Hulu and Disney Plus. Honestly, everybody outside of the people listening to our show and all the other shows like it and playing in that Twitter nerd space, the line is already pretty blurred between the DC and Marvel characters. So why not blur it further? Mm-hmm. I I want this show to be awesome. I want it to be the highest possible quality. And I wanted to reach the most eyeballs possible. Like, I think the best thing to happen is that Sandman is on Netflix because yep. in 50 times the amount of people have access to this and are going to discover it than if HBO had kept it in house, right? Same with Ted Lasso. Like, Ted Lasso, I don't know, would have the audience that it has if it had just been on HBO Max. HBO Max mm-hmm. has the flight attendant, which is cool, but it's one of many offerings on that service. Whereas Ted Lasso, is something that Apple can promote and champion as a crown jewel on their service, which is a little light on content. And um, it draws a lot of eyeballs being like a nice cheap addition to your Apple service package. So yeah, that's what I want for Cape Crusader, like badly. I really well, like, want At the end of the Plus. day, for me, I'm not overly fussed about where it lands either. It's It's interesting to hear that discussion about Zazaf pulling the shoot on being a competitor in a Disney plus Netflix world right now. And I agree mm-hmm. with you. HBO max had interestingly established itself as the quote unquote adult alternative to Disney plus. Really? It was yeah. the, it was something that was sitting and juxtaposing itself saying like, this is the content we're doing. They're traditional HBO stuff, the scripted stuff but we're, we're providing it and a level of it when you look at the Emmy nominations and all that, right, compared to, to some of the other streamers where they're heavily focused on things like well, Disney Plus specifically, like Marvel, Pixar, and um, Star Wars that they're producing a lot of content from. But even looking back from a business perspective, Zaslav, you know, he's been saying time and time again, we're here to save money, we're here to make a business. I've been part of a bloated business before that was, had all this stuff and everyone's having lots of fun, but no one was making any money. And Mm -hmm. right now, no streamer is making any money. Like Disney posted a $1.1 billion loss in the first quarter for Disney+. Plus. It's because they're producing a lot of content. They don't have the the subscriptions. And that's why we're seeing this coming this December. The ads are coming in. More revenue is being put. You know, I think we're going to see stuff spaced out. And even the delays to all of these things, DC, all the films, the Cape Crusader, I honestly need a break. I need a breath I'm so far behind and I can't catch up. I've had a very, very busy summer, but the summer months are almost like the worst months for these things to be coming out because I don't have, I don't even have a TV in my new house yet. I don't have anywhere mm-hmm. to like, I'm watching stuff on laptop, but I'm already three episodes behind on She-Hulk. I'm, I haven't finished Miss Marvel. And these are like my, the shows are focused directly at me and I don't have, like, there's just too much. So like this breath on all of DC, I'm okay with right now. And then moving away. Yeah, Sure. Like you said, we are lucky in, in Canada that HBO is already bundled up and we get all that stuff anyways through Crave, which is like $22 a month or something like that. And yeah, I, I don't think this whole like sky is falling narrative around DC in particular, but even WB Discovery, like a lot of weird and maybe really hard decisions have been made. But like from a business perspective, it makes sense. And I really like what you're saying about Cape and Crusader, like going to Disney Plus, you get... 200 million people looking at that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they'll Which is promote what you it want. Well. And then, they, then they're going out and looking for, well, where do I get more DC content? You know what I mean? And 
all those movies, they can Aquaman two and all this when they do eventually come out, they are on offer through like they'll have a deal with Netflix or whatever, and they'll make t- a ton of money just having them loaned out to Netflix for a bit, right? Yeah, L- like for me, I'm I-, I am actually a Warner Brothers Discovery shareholder, but I'm just like I'm a fan of. DC and I just want as many people to see all the wonderful things that I see in these characters and in these properties and in these stories. So it's like, yeah, like I, I don't care. Like, sure. If JPEG gets an extra olive in his martini because Crape Crusader is on Disney plus, so be it. (laughs) Well, and at the end of the day, when you're talking about the DCIP, right? Like that's the most important thing in here. And that's the thing that we'll probably leave with on this topic is that although at times decisions may seem erratic around all of this, but this is one of the first times the DC brand is being held up on a pedestal and them saying, this IP is one of the most important IPs we have. We need to be very careful with it. We need to have a plan and we need to put some structure to it because if we lose people from this and we don't get the eyeballs on it, this brand cannot be successful. They are chasing Marvel right now. They they want to be shoulder to shoulder. They don't necessarily need to copy it, but they sure as hell want to have the same sort of recognition that Marvel does right now. Like Marvel, yeah. you say Marvel Studios people are at the movie theater. They're, who who's I don't it doesn't matter who it is. It can be anyone. They will go because it has a Marvel Studios. They have earned that brand recognition and that's what they want for dc and it's gonna take time yeah well and it's interesting you say that i was actually doing a bit of reading and they had a bunch of kind of industry type folks talking about the most valuable ips and dc was number two to marvel and Mm -hmm. it was it wasn't like kind of where it where it's at now kind of factored in it factored in for like a marvel where it's like you have a great platform to build point forward and take off into the stratosphere even further but dc was number two beating stuff like star wars and lord of the rings because of just the potential and it won't take much for you to grow this thing so that like you said it can be a shoulder-to-shoulder alternative or complement to what they're doing in marvel Mm -hmm. kind of thing just because the property lends itself to that way easier than star wars or lord of the rings or anything like that then that's exactly it dc has a catalog of recognizable characters decades and decades of stories to draw inspiration from where star wars you're most of the time other than the skywalker saga you're starting from zero yeah right and you got to building a story you're building your characters you know you get tie fighters flying around or whatever the death star popping up for that recognition but that's about it like superman batman wonder woman like all these characters who I don't think have come nearly close to meeting their true potential on film when it comes to recognition, engagement, nowhere near what they've done, right? Or what mm-hmm. they could do and what they potentially will do down the road, right? Like Batman's a very generational character um, and he's stepping into a new generation with Robert Pattinson. So there's so much potential in Superman especially. And so it's going to be interesting to see where it all sees. And I love talking about this stuff because it's it's so immensely interesting. And once I get going, once the wheels start turning, man, I just think like you know, I think DC's got a bright horizon, but we've got to get through the night first. <laughs> got to get we got to get to dawn before we start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. If you know what I mean. 
So yeah. I'm going to throw all the analogies at everyone there right now. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Disney and the, the people standing opposite of the table in Marvel, let's talk a bit about what's going on this week, this Friday D23. We spoke about the disappointment around the cancellation of DC fandom. And we do have D23 here, which is an in-person conference. It's more of an industry conference. And unfortunately, it is more closed doors than I think a lot of us would like. But that's not to say that we're not going to see anything. There are some rumors out there about what potentially could be being revealed specifically around Marvel Studios. There is very much a sense of things being held back at Comic-Con. Yes, they laid out a massive amount of films coming out through phase five but there's some big gaps in phase six only announcing that fantastic four and the two avengers films there's about five or six films there that haven't been announced and there's lingering things like the fantastic forecast first looks at some of the tv shows that we're going to be seeing in the early part of 23 like secret invasion that are being rumored to be shown at d23 so it looks like marvel is going to have quite the presence there with like I said, the Secret Invasion trailer being touted as being something that's coming, as well as the reveal of the cast. Who is going to be Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, and The Thing is all being put out there that could be revealed there. But the most interesting piece of of news, if you want to call it that, there was a radio broadcaster named Emmett Kennedy. I'm not sure how reputable this man is or whatever, but it's something that kind of flew around the timeline that I did notice here. And he said he has under good authority that there is a very high caliber list of actors that are about to enter the MCU in various roles, but will be joining Kevin Feige at D23 this weekend. I got to throw some of these at you, Carlos, and see what you have to think. One, Denzel Washington. Well, Two, that's amazing. Yeah. One, Carlos. Who, who he's playing? No clue. Absolutely no clue. Like some of these guys, you could be thinking X Men, you could be thinking Doctor Doom. Not sure, but Juan Carlos Esposito, who's been rumored for a while, um, Professor X, kind of Professor X, John Krasinski, maybe Reed Richards, maybe some other role. Um, John Boyega is being rumored to be interested in you, and. And there's a couple of Daisy Edgar Jones, Jodie Cormer. I'm not sure who either of those women are. Oh, they're um, both awesome. Yeah, so they're both rumored. Maybe Sue Storm in there. Not sure who else is is potentially on tap here. But the big one here. Now this is and this is for for one of your daughters here. I, it's Henry Cavill is being rumored to be entering the MCU. Yeah, I heard that rumor too. I just hope it's not something cheese like Hyperion, and I don't think that. Oh, if they Kevin do that, I'm so upset. Would, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just so on the nose. For those that don't know, it's a Superman ripoff. Like, yeah, it's just so on the nose, and I don't think that that's the kind of thing that Feige would do with it. Um, I heard rumblings that it was a role in Loki two, which could be okay. pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I to be honest, like I really like and respect all those actors and actresses uh, that you put forth, like particularly the ladies. To be honest with you, like Daisy Edgar Jones, I just finished watching her in uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, and she was wonderful in that. She's got a neat energy, and she can kind of she has a couple different vibes to her. Where it'd be cool to see what they do with her character. Uh, 
Jodie Cormer is a very talented actress and Denzel's a legend, right? So mm-hmm. he he looks like the blue Marvel, but I don't know that they'd spend him on a character like that. Um, blue Marvel seems like a low hanging fruit in there for someone. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a character that's been firmly tied to the fantastic four in some capacities tied to like photon and all that. Um, that seems like one of these people are going to be playing blue Marvel at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it it'll be interesting to see what happens with all those. Um yeah, if Henry joins them like I can't blame him for going to play across the table cuz yeah, they've kind of left him in limbo for a long time. So um Yeah, let's see what happens and there's nothing stopping people from playing in both worlds as evidenced exactly. by Idris Elba. So Yeah. Um, well, I I think on that list the person I'm most excited for to see what they do with is Jumbo Ega. You know, he got he got kind of shortchanged on his fin arc inside of the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. and I'm he may have hesitations with going back to to Disney in some capacity. But maybe under Kevin Feige, they've got him locked into a role that he could have a little Disney redemption on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he's a great actor, and uh, like I've followed a lot of his independent and more. Um, grounded work that he's done in the years surrounding and post star Wars. So yeah, I'm happy to watch John Boyega and anything quite frankly, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised to hear that he's coming to play back in the mm-hmm. franchise game again. But uh, yeah, if he wants to, I'm, I'm here for it because he's a talented cat and he's got a cool look to him. So uh, there's lots of, lots of interesting places that they could take him in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want an X Men announcement or do you want that to be held? Is that is that still the uh, in case of flop break glass type of franchise or do you think it's time to start introducing them before we get to an Avengers Secret Wars? I kind of want Secret Wars to play out and for the reality of the mutants to just be revealed. Like I, yeah. they certainly planted some seeds in the Disney Plus stuff that's aired of late. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of two minds about it. Like my ideal version of this would have been for them to just do X Men movies and they are on their completely separate world, and then mm-hmm. Secret Wars being a melding of the two worlds. Uh, just because I I've always felt the X Men are the most interesting when they're by themselves. But um, yeah, we'll see. I think we're gonna get it, but I don't know that I want it yet. Like I still think the Marvel stuff is in a good place, and yeah. And quite frankly, with what you're doing with your characters, if you have something like the X-Men on the horizon, it's going to be really hard to get people to give some of these other things a bit of a fair chance. Like, honestly, you have to look no further than Miss Marvel and She-Hulk, right? Like, the viewership and the discourse around those wasn't great. But, like, honestly, I adore miss marvel it's my favorite thing mm-hmm. that they've broadcast i'm not even and done it and I, it's my second favorite or almost my favorite i still got two episodes to go yeah and uh just for stubaka i was getting on that plane and i hate watching something long that i might not have time for so i was like you know what for Stu, not for the show sorry tim not for you not for anybody else <laughs> for our man Stu, i downloaded the first two episodes of she hulk and absolutely loved it i thank you yeah, I, I think it's great. Like it's me too. um it's totally just its 
where it thrives, it thrives in that same space where Obi-Wan kind of stumbled in that it really embraces the format and being a sitcom. So it's not trying to do much where I think like Obi-Wan was a movie that was forced into TV format. Um, yeah. This one really leans into the fact that it's episodic and, you know, they tell you a bit of her story like, ah, here's my superhero origin Hulk family punch up episode and here's my Jennifer Walters being a lawyer and finding my way type episode. And um, I, I think it's great for that. So yeah, I've liked it. It's, it's a little on the nose sometimes and ham fisted in oh, its yeah. messaging. Um, you could tell that the writers maybe had a few too many glasses of wine and read Twitter too much when they were putting some of those scripts in, but you know what? So be it. The, the flip side of that is that the, people at the pointy end of the stick certainly deserved it. So yeah, no, it, it's been a pleasant surprise. So I'm all caught up with that one and looking forward to, well, the episodes will drop the same day as this uh, podcast. Yeah. I'm two episodes in too. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We will hopefully do a wrap up at some point to some of the more recent Disney plus stuff, including Miss Marvel and She-Hulk once this comes to a close, but I've, it's just one of those ones, and I don't know if, if it comes down to expectation level or if they've kind of found their footing now with these Disney Plus shows and they're trying, like you said, to approach it from more of a sitcom level because I find that both Miss Marvel and She-Hulk both just it, it told a much smaller story than even Moon Knight tried to do. Moon Knight tried to tell a very large story and kind of ran out of time while doing so. And some of the other ones fell into that too. But WandaVision itself to me was a very contained story. And and even Loki, although time spanning, it, it was very personal story about Loki himself. And the, the ones that kind of lean into that a bit more, I find, are more successful. Like Falcon the Winter Soldier is one that we were all thought was going to be amazing. And it was, it was good, but I think it, it fell short a little bit because it tried to do too many things inside of the show. Oh, man, that to do a reintroduction of Captain America and it's globe trotting. That was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have your story right there. Honestly, Will Winter Soldier shouldn't have even been in it. Should have been about Sam and Isaiah Bradley. 100%. But again, that comes down to the personalization of the stories, right? They tried to make a globe trotting Captain America film across these six episodes and they, you know, and bringing in Zemo back into it and agent 13 it was it was just layered with too too much stuff. Like they tried to cover a trilogy of films inside of those six episodes. Yeah, um, well, and, and I think that's why these shows are mm-hmm. right. Like honestly, I think because there was less emphasis on world building with both Miss Marvel and She Hulk, the shows are infinitely better for it. Yeah, because they well get, they, they they they're doing what I'm hoping Rogue One does or not Rogue One Andor does. It just says. We exist inside of this universe. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Like we don't. We don't need to reframe everything up and around certain events or anything like that. It's just we exist here. Everyone accept that, and we're going to tell a story now. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really what Andor is going to be. It's going to be like we exist inside of Star Wars, but we're just going to tell our story now. Yeah, yeah, so. I agree. And I think yeah, that's exactly where She Hulk is at. 
Yeah. It just, yeah, it just nods to kind of everything. Just, you know, people come in, people come out. There's no need, like, I'm, everyone knows that Wong's going to be in an episode. And I don't know if it was the third one or if it's going to be the fourth one, but he's probably just going to walk in and say, Hey, I'm Wong. I'm here. Let's talk about the book of Ashanti. You know what I mean? Like, it's in the trailers. So they're not going to waste any time about trying to. Yeah. That's already played out. And yeah. It, it wasn't even that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was great. Like, how they used him, I thought it was quite, quite humorous. So, yeah. So yeah, lot lots of things coming there for D23. And there's a little mini review on She-Hulk from us. And the only thing to mention here before we get into just a little bit more personal talk as we kind of kick off this new era, Disney Plus Day. So that's coming to as of Thursday, as of this episode drops. And what that comes with, we you know we've had this in the last couple of years. They've touted this as being this big reveal day and all this stuff, and it just turns out to be their monthly drop. And so what we're gonna be seeing is things like Thor Love and Thunder. A movie that I, to be honest with you, when I saw it, I probably was like half in, half out, not remembering a whole bunch. So I have to revisit that. And that's a discussion that I would like to have with you at some point here, Carlos, is is talking about Thor Love and Thunder. We haven't really ever talked about it here on the podcast. We're kind of waiting for it to drop because it just never worked into the schedule. And I, I don't remember half of it. And I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I seem to like the pieces I saw I liked. So I'm interested to revisit that down, down the road here. And we're going to get a whole bunch of the... Uh, the behind the scenes, the Avengers assembled stuff or Marvel Studios assembled with the making of Thor Love and Thunder. We're going to get the uh, Jedi's Return, the look behind the scenes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, Pinocchio, that new Tom Hanks movie is mm-hmm. coming out. Like the full live action Pinocchio is being dropped directly into Disney Plus. So that's something that we'll be watching with the kids. So um, nice big day, but it's, it's always a bit overblown as to exactly what it is because it's just a, a monthly drop. They do this every month. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's a cool, like, I guess that explains why they waited on releasing Love and Thunder, like, an extra week or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because they were hanging tight to make it part of Disney Plus Day and D23, which is totally understandable. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious to finally check it out and see it for myself type of Did thing. Did you not see it in but... theaters? No, it, honestly, like, it was one of those where the best reviews were that it's half a good movie. And I'm like, you know what? There's some excellent movies in theaters now and at the time. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be that guy. So I I'm just decided to wait type of thing. And yeah, I saw a pile of movies during that corridor, but that just wasn't one of them. Um, well, and it's nice too having that, that, well, at least the line of sight to 45 days after this drops in the theaters. If you really want to see it, you're only waiting a month and a half. Mm-hmm. all this stuff now right it's not like you're waiting six months for it to come out on vhs anymore a year <laughs> that we used to have to wait or catching it on you know the one station that gets the rights to air it for the first time like you don't have to do it like 45 days isn't that long like <laughs> no no and like i said it, it's just one of those i um uh, i'm off ramping a little bit where it's just like ah you know what just because it's from marvel studios i can wait and get to it at my own time and quite frankly like the discourse by the sunday of that movie was just like oh yeah i'm good i can i can wait because uh yeah. yeah good bad or indifferent who knows it might be my favorite movie ever but i uh i think i'm better for not having uh had to wade into that conversation so 100 <laughs> percent. i just put one tweet out so that i like the parts i saw when my eyes were open <laughs> <laughs> but anyways man so we've we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in the the news part here so normal episode we'll finish off with with the news here around that 45 to hour long mark um but i wanted to take a little bit of time because we've been away from the mics more frequently than we have ever really on the podcast and a lot of it comes down to 
a, a lot of changes and a lot of uh, a time doing personal things and having fun over the summer. And Carlos, you had a you had a pretty cool trip that you guys, you and your family went on. Um, why don't you explain a bit about that? Because I got, I got some questions, and I'm a bit jealous, to be honest with you, from the pictures I saw that were posted and sent to me. And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? We'll do a mini uh, mini review. This is basically we went on uh, the nerd room, the vacation. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we went down to sunny, extremely sunny. Uh, global warming is a reality, uh, California, <laughs> and uh, we did it all. We um, did the Star Wars, we did the Marvel, we did the DC, and we did the Beyond. But uh, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll kind of I'll kind of trot through everything. So yeah, we did a day at Universal Studios, and and that was cool. Universal Studios is always a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big draw there for my family in particular and my youngest daughter was the newly revamped Jurassic World ride. So it's a roller that, coaster, right? No, that one it, it's still so it's the original. Jurassic kind of water river raft ride. Oh, they changed it to Jurassic World? No. I know. I I did love it. It no longer has you kind of float into the main gates and the brachiosaur greets you. So that was a little heartbreaking. That said. Dude, it just made me cry. (laughs) They did a pretty phenomenal job. Like they take you in to kind of the Jurassic World type um concrete concrete and blue aesthetic that they had for everything and you float into the mosasaur kind of viewing area is mm. what it is and the mosasaur kind of swims on one side and then onto the other side of you and hits the glass and you get some uh some spray on you and then you kind of go through the same little um herbivore cove and the stegosauruses are still there and the parasaurolophus i think there might actually be two now uh, are in there and they give you some water love and then you go through the kind of carnivore breakout and they got the compies going and the lophosaurus is going the indominus makes a couple quick appearances which was pretty neat that they've built full-size animatronic uh, very cool indominus that pokes in and out and then uh you kind of start cresting and you go up top and you get greeted by a full out life-size blue and to just see my daughter freak out like that's that that's gonna be burned into my life forever it was just like yeah she might as well have been real and come home as our pet kind of thing the reaction was that strong and then finishes off with yeah a little indominus versus t-rex action and it, it was sweet like super sweet and we were lucky enough that we timed it well and were able to go on that ride twice so that was cool Really cool. Transformers. Tell me, cool. tell me one thing here. Hmm. Do you still walk through the Jurassic Park gates when you walk into that island, like to that that Jurassic World? So the, the the big gates and that part of it, that's in Florida on Islands. Of oh Adventure. yeah, okay. I'm getting mixed up here. I've never been to California. I'm thinking Florida. My bad. Yeah. So they do still have like a Jurassic World gate, kind mm-hmm. of at the main entrance to the area. So you kind of. It's a lot more open, so the gate isn't as much of um, as a magical portal as it is in Florida. Mm-hmm. So you see the gate there, and you can kind of walk to the right and go into the restaurant or the little play area or kind of follow it through and get onto the ride type of thing. And then, uh, yeah, and when you get off, we ended up getting off the first time, and there was Blue waiting to greet us like, 
almost poetically type it, of thing. It makes so. my heart sing because you, you had sent me a few things about specifically the JP stuff, and then we'll of course get into the Star Wars stuff too. And it's just like hearing about it, it's like there's like an immense amount of jealousy, but just so like swimming with pride. Um, and your kids call me your kids call me uncle now, which I love. Yeah. And um, and just seeing like two of my true joys in life, them down experiencing it and just like loving it. Oh man, it's so cool. Yeah, and so like Jurassic was definitely the highlight of Universal Studios, and not much else has changed in Universal to be honest with you. But it was good, and we kind of hit like all the parks at a good time where. Nothing was crazy busy, but busy enough that you got to see the parks in their full glory and they had all their shows running and, and everything else. So then um, next day we did like the Warner Brothers studio tour and yeah, we did a bit of an upgraded tour and man, like honestly, it, it was pretty ironic because we go and man, WB, both my wife and I, our first words out of our mouth was like, we definitely got our money's worth out of that tour that we had paid for because they wined and dined us and very much made a concerted effort to make sure that the people who were in our little tour of I think there was like 10 of us or 12 of us um half of that being my family um got to see exactly what we came to see so Mm -hmm. um take us to a bit of their forest where they filmed the t-rex chase from the first jurassic park and Dr. Shin's lab in the end of Aquaman. And, um, but anyways, we kind of go through the whole tour and do the whole thing, get fed, um, get put into a room where they're like, yeah, here's Lady Gaga's dress from A Star is Born for my daughter. Here's the original um, thumbnail sketches and animation cells from the opening of Batman, the animated series on my left. And on my right is Michael Keaton's first cowl. And at the exit of the room is Austin Butler's Elvis costume from the movie. (laughs) And I was just like, Holy smokes. And then, uh, we get taken to the world of like, Oh, and then we go into this prop warehouse and talked about the things that we like to see and, or the movies that we liked and all that kind of stuff. And, the gal shows us the Agent Smiths from Matrix <laughs> Resurrections. We get to see the a bunch of the Red Triangle Circus Gang costumes from Batman Returns. She took me to a jukebox that Elvis had actually used in one of his movies. And then we go into like this like museum of magic and and heroes or whatever. I was like, oh okay, it's gonna be Harry Potter. Dude, I walk in. <laughs> and they've got the gates of Arkham Asylum there. They've got Arnold's Mr. Freeze costume, Heath's Joker costume, and then the Riddler and Penguin costumes from the Batman. And then as we kind of go walking 10 steps further, they had freaking Pattinson's screen use costume and Kravitz's Catwoman costume and the full freaking Batmobile. All what? there at the entrance. Yeah. All there at the entrance to this room. I know I showed you, I sent you the one selfie and your, your yeah. comment was like, you might as well be in that freaking thing. Yeah, you're so close to it. He's like, you're like, oh, the WB guys let me close. I said, what? You're like in the suit. <laughs> That's how close you were <laughs> Oh, yeah. Me. Like it was, and they were cool. Like the guy kind of noticed my tattoos and uh, he's like, yeah, hooks up with the pictures in front of the car. Um, and then he's like, here, I got to show you this. Nobody ever sees this because it's kind of down a weird hallway but he's like I had to make sure that your family got to see this he takes us down this hallway 
and there's Linda Carter's Wonder Woman suit, Christopher Reeve's Superman costume, and Michael Keaton's bat suit, all mounted. And so he had us take pictures with that, and that was that was pretty amazing. And like, man, just being up close and personal with that Keaton suit, like just piece of glass separating us, was pretty amazing. And then yeah, go back into the big Justice League area. They had every single one of their costumes up and the justice league all staged up. And then they had um, like kind of the, it was like the stand in for Ray Fisher. Cause his costume was computer generated. So they had the actual cyborg model there. <laughs> they had Shazam with like a light up effect in his costume. Wife got to take pictures with like wonder woman's um, golden armor. And then they had a thing set up where you could hold the lasso and have the wings behind you kind of thing. No way. Yeah, the kid got the touch Cavill's Superman suit. The the red one or the black one? The black one. The red one was mounted with the rest of the Justice League. Yeah, and they had like the Kryptonite spear there, the Robin costume from BVS, but then they had like just cool stuff like like yeah, open the drawer of the Clark Kent's desk and in the desk is like the his glasses and his press pass and all that kind of stuff. Super cool. Then we go into the back and they had Bale's Dark Knight Returns costume in the big plexiglass enclosure with all the weapons. They had Affleck's gas gun. And the whole back wall is like this massive video screen. And it's basically the Batcave. And it's got uh, like a turntable and different Batmobiles coming up and driving out. And then Batwings getting mounted and loaded out. The Batpod was in there. Affleck's full-size Batwing was in there. And Keaton's Batmobile. Like it Man, was but this unreal. is just a DC warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was unreal, man. It was unreal. Like, I was in my glory, and we got to stay in there as long as we wanted and probably spent an hour in that area oh. just soaking up those costumes. And I'll post some pictures now that we've talked about. It. I was kind of holding back, hoping that uh, we get a chance to showcase that. And, yeah, it was cool. And then, uh, yeah, we did the Disney Parks days, and that was great. Like, Disney's always a good time. Uh, Avengers Campus – it it's all right. Guardians of the Galaxy ride is awesome. Like James Gunn did an amazing job working mm-hmm. with the Imagineers to reinvent the once great Tower of Terror, but turn it into this Guardians ride. And just the finishing and everything else was awesome on that. Spider Man ride was a little disappointing because it's basically like a less fun version of Toy Story Mania. And so, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of is it, is this, it a like, Spider Man MCU or is it Spider Man animated ride? It's MCU. So they MCU. have like a Tom Holland hologram that comes out at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And basically the story is that like these little, he's he's working for kind of like a STEM school that's sponsored by Stark Industries. And he creates these little spider bots that get loose and start eating Avengers Campus. So you got to okay. go into the little car and spin webs to catch all the spider bots. Like, it, I guess they had to make it an all ages ride and that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to do that type of thing. Um and like it, it's cool enough in that there's no um you don't have any accessories to you and uh, there's three glasses but you just kind of use your hands to whip webs all over the place oh, but cool. it was okay like i really loved toy story mania and i didn't think it was as fun as that one but uh yeah it it was cool enough uh, avengers campus is almost geared more for character appearances yeah and meets and i thought it was ironic the only one that kind of fell into my lap, there's two that fell into my lap and it was just like, buddy walked out 
And uh, the one they were there, and we got to be kind of one of the last families in line, and that was Black Panther. Got to take picture with him. But cool. the one dude that walks out and was like, hey, come with me, and we'll take a picture. Freaking Captain America, Sam Wilson. And I was nice. like, how ironic is that? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny that, like, of all the characters that popped in and out, and there's a there's a pile of them that were there. Um, and if you wanted to wait, you could wait or whatever. But uh, the two that fell into my lap was Black Panther, but more so that it was uh, my boy Sam hooking me up with a picture. And it's like, yeah, I might I might be the goddamn Falcon on this show at sometimes, but that guy uh, definitely made me feel like I need to eat more protein <laughs> to fill out <laughs> the suit. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's cool that I've, I've said, seen a lot of that, just that it is geared more towards like the character. Because I know like when shows debut, like Moon Knight starts showing up and mm-hmm. like Miss Marvel started showing up. It's, so it's kind of cool how it's it reflects the shows. And I'm sure there'll be a She-Hulk at some point, if not already, yeah. kind of wandering around there as well. When it's definitely kind of geared to almost that, because there's only the two rides in the area, and then there's like a big Ant-Man or Pym restaurant that's there, and they kind of play with the food where they're like, oh, look, we've been enlar- like you buy a chicken sandwich and it's on slider buns, so it looks like they blew the piece of chicken up <laughs> huge type of thing. Um, and then there's like a a bar where it's a bunch of different like uh, Pym steamed cocktails in it type of thing so that's Mm. actually the main thing in that area that's the biggest building and then there's like the big avengers headquarters but that's where the characters kind of pop around so there's a deck around the top where there's always one of them just hanging out so you can take pictures from afar that's cool and was that spider-man thing working like yeah animatronic dummy doll like i yeah, it it crashed and burned a few times, and then the one time we just kind of happened to be in the area and got to see the end of the show, and yeah. Spider Man like kind of dropped down literally right in front of me, and then I took a picture over my shoulder, and there's Spidey doing his final pose crouch kind of thing. Cool. I just yeah, those impromptu shows though, there I find like that and the parades they're just like so annoying where they're trying to corral people and manage this massive crowd in a space that's not built to. Host a mm. crowd, so I'm just like, oh, this is uh, this is not great. But the thing that was great and absolutely spectacular was Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Like I was, I was pretty blown away that at just how transformative it is when you go in there. Like it's tucked in behind the rest of the park, and you can't really see it from anywhere else. Um, and yeah, as we kind of did that first order of business on two of the mornings and literal first a, order of business. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, followed a massive crowd in there and did, uh, did some speed walking for the first time since the nineties and <laughs> get in there. And then, yeah, you're just kind of in these trees and in this corridor and the music is softly playing and the pavement kind of changes. And the next thing you know, you're standing right next to a freaking a wing and there's an X-Wing that's kind of staged up and ready to go. And yeah, the entire area is just so cool and how they've done their gift shops and their vendors and everything else to really try and make it as transformative as possible was pretty awesome. Just being next to a life-size Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. was pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, we did it up 
all the way. Like the wife was able to get us into the little cantina that they have, which is pretty hard apparently to get bookings into. So went there and we had drinks in there and that was just neat and obscenely expensive. To, uh, <laughs> like, Galaxy far, far away ain't cheap. You know from those figures swinging from the pegs, of course the, 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 the blue milk is not going to be cheap. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Like we're talking like, Literally eight bucks US for a slush and eighteen dollars for a virgin drink in that Ooh. in that little pub. Like, it was crazy, but yeah, we did stuff there. Got a snack at the other big kind of restaurant. Um, my daughter ended up buying a lightsaber, and she was lucky enough. She'd saved up, had a couple different options. She it was pretty cool though, like. The lightsaber shop is so impressive. Just the way it's it's meant to look like it's uh, a bit of a scavenger's uh, oasis. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to build her own lightsaber. We put that offer up and she's like, no, I don't really like what you can get and how that whole thing goes. And so um, she, like Ahsoka was kind of the first order of business and maybe an Anakin or a Luke uh, she passed on a holocron because it wasn't up to the quality that she wanted from it. But we go, we did the one spot and then we went to the other main lightsaber uh, vendor and it was love at first sight. And she ended up coming home with the Calacastus yes. lightsaber that you can only buy down um, at Galaxy's Edge. And and it is like by far the most impressive of the lightsabers. Number one, because it's freaking huge. But just the... Uh, whatever you call like the um, the grip thing or whatever, it's designed so that it can either be severed like it is in the game, or mm-hmm. oh, nice. if you if you find the right little spot in the game, you can actually dual wield. Um, and so it actually has a little piece that you can swap out on the hilt and have a double bladed lightsaber if you have the money and to to buy two of the Calcastus lightsabers, but it was, it was neat. And like the guy working at the store, he was like, you're very fortunate to get that. Cause he's like, I don't think we would have had them still by the end of the day type of thing. It sounds oh, like. Oh, wow. They're that. Cause I guess, cause they're exclusive to Galaxy's Edge. Eh? They're exclusive to there. They don't bring them in um, as much. Like you'll, you'll sell 25 OB1s to every Calcastus, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, like she had a friend that went, to Disneyland not that long ago. And, um, you know, she's a pretty close friend. So she was asked like, yeah, if you find the cow down there, grab it for me. And yeah, she was like, no, they, <laughs> there's zero, we were told there was like zero chance of you getting your hands on this thing. So yeah, she went down there thinking that she wouldn't be able to get it, but was able Amazing. to land. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. a picture of her haul. It's quite, quite impressed. <laughs> Very proud. <laughs> yeah. And the freaking X-Wing helmet, which, was kind of came out of the blue, but it's very cool. But the rides, man. Um, okay, you can't, you can't you can't detail explain the what is it the not the Millennium Falcon one, but the other one. I have the rides of resistance. I have yeah. avoided listening to descriptions and watching videos of it since it came out because I, I want to have that experience because yeah. I've heard it's unreal. Yeah, it is unreal. Um, what I will say about it, it is the more impressive of the two. Uh, it is, like out of all the rides, it, it was by far the most immersive mm-hmm. ride that, like out of all the parks and everything else, it was easily the most immersive. Uh, 
the the cast members go out of their way to play their roles and kind of keep you um yeah entrenched in in what it's all about and everything else and we were fortunate enough like because I've talked to a ton of people that even live in California that haven't been able to get on the ride because it gets so busy. Yeah. And we were fortunate enough to be able to do it twice. And just God's good graces. Uh, I didn't know this before we went on the second time, but there's two different versions of the ride. That it, Okay. Like two different paths that you go on type of thing. There's kind of version A and version B. And just by fluke, we ended up getting both versions. Ah. So. We got one the first time and the different one the second time and yeah it was it was awesome and yeah I think the minimum wait that we ever saw was ninety minutes type of thing okay and that's one with like no fast passes well it does have one but you have to pay extra oh yeah it's so, one of those ones because they changed all that up recently yeah so like you pay I think it's like twenty dollars per person to go on the ride on just that one ride. If you want to get the lightning pass, trying to trying to make back some money they lost during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty nuts. There wasn't. It, it was interesting. Nobody. Um. Th- there wasn't very many people paying for it on that one, but or Spider Man, Sp- and Spider Man's lines were never long, which kind of tells you that I'm not the only one that doesn't think it's the mm-hmm. greatest ride in the world. Um, like we went on Spider Man twice. And the second time, nobody wanted to go on it. And I was like, I was like, we have to go on it because I have to make sure that I didn't love it because it's (laughs) Spider-Man. But yeah, that one only was like, at max, was like 45 minutes kind of thing. But uh, freaking the Cars ride, like the Lightning McQueen ride was the one that like always had two, three hour waits. Is that the test track one? Yeah. And it's pretty wild to ride. I've been on that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, we got to ride it. We didn't pay. Um, we went and lined up one day to go on it. But I uh, like the fact that that's the one that's still to this day because it's been there for years. Yeah. Well, I went still down before my kids day. were born. Yeah. It's always lined up and that people paid. Like there was people like a family of five, hundred bucks just to that's go on crazy. that ride. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a that's hundred US. That's a lot of money to us Canadians. <laughs> yeah, it it was crazy, but uh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Like Disneyland was super fun, and it was a lot of fun because like my kids are older, and they were super skittish on rides when they were younger, mm-hmm. which made Disneyland like annoying at times <laughs> to be there with them. But uh, this was the first time that it was just like super fun and everybody was in for every Amazing. ride. And, I love it. Yeah. Kind of got a taste for it. We did star tours yeah, and we hit it like at a perfect time where we were able to do lots of stuff. Lots of times. Like we did star tours. I think it was minimum five, if not six times. What? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We got every single scenario except for the rise of Skywalker ones. That's okay. And we, ah, man. Yeah. We ironically uh, got the episode one one's lots. We were saying it's because my wife, being the Qui Gon super fan, they couldn't take us off the Boonta I've seen the picture. I've seen the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Just incredible. Well, it sounds like you guys had like an absolute blast, and um, it gets me excited for for down the road. We're we're thinking about a trip, probably not next year, but the year after when my youngest is just a tad older, um, just to kind of maximize the, the height. As well as mm-hmm. the, like you said, the uh, ability to to ride things and almost have like those that memory, right? Like the way my youngest is right now, 
nah, I don't know if she'd get the, the full takeaway for the cost of it even. Mm-hmm. And so really, really looking forward to that. So yeah, I'm glad you're able to kind of detail that out here, you know, cause it's, um, it's, it's a huge piece. And I love that it was kind of the nerd room, the trip to stars, Marvel, DC and beyond. Like <laughs> just yeah. hit all of it, man. Absolutely amazing. And you know, we're, we're going to close it out there. You know, I, I finally moved. I'm in my new nerd room right now. Um, it is a mess. I don't, my collection is still across from Carlos as he sits in his house, but it will be picked up this move this weekend and moved in here. I still have to figure out what I want to do. So I'm, I'm eventually going to toss something up on YouTube here. I got, uh, I actually started collecting again, which is nice. I hadn't made really any purchase in about six months, but I got some cool things that we're going to talk about next week on toy stream live and just going to get back at it guys. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, it. I'm finally feeling a bit settled. It's been a chaotic couple of months displaced for seven weeks and then big, big move and trying to manage the kids going back to school and the new house and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's been crazy. And so that's why some of the, the nerd room content has been a bit slower, but like I said at the top, we're back. It's a new era. It's a new style of podcasting across the next couple of weeks. Um, and that format's going to kind of roll into the subsequent months. So next week, guys, there will not be a podcast in the feed you're going to have to go over to our YouTube channel, subscribe there, and check out the live stream. We'll announce on our Twitter feeds when that's coming and maybe who potentially could be a guest. And like Carlos said at the top, if you guys want to be a part of this show in the Toy Stream Live, the YouTube show, or at the end of the month in our Detour show, be sure to, to email us at thenerdam at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode, so you can find us there. Drop us a DM. YouTube, like I said, go over and subscribe to that channel. We're trying to continue to build and grow. Ian just threw up an awesome video of a Hot Toys event, a Star Wars Hot Toys event that he was at at Toy Sapiens in Japan. And so he's got a, like a wonderful 10-minute video of him looking at some pretty exclusive-looking Hot toy stuff, some big scale stuff. So, so really neat kind of exclusive tour, something that we don't have access to here. Um, that, that that shop in Japan that he goes to does have access to. Some really cool stars content going up there. And we just want to build the nerd room, guys. We want to do more. We want to diversify. We want to open up and have new guests, talk about new and different things, and, and keep things fresh here in the nerd room. And so that's what we're attempting to do here. So um, if you want to catch up with kind of everything we're doing, nerdroom.net, you can find us uh, over there. And so, Carlos, I appreciate you coming to the mic and giving what I think is the best part of the episode, a beautiful review of your trip down to, to Disneyland, to Universal, to WB, to all of it, man. Absolutely incredible. Um, but, yeah, for for this new era, for this beginning of the new a new beginning of the new room, the all new, all different new room, I don't know, whatever we want to call it. For all of that, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. Thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.